Well, Father, we, we don't really even know what it means to say that we want all that you have, but we certainly want more of what you have for us tonight. And I dare to ask that you would give us more than we've ever known and than we've ever seen for the sake of your glory, but also for our good and for the good of this city, this nation, the world which you're renewing. But we do pray for an acceleration in that and we know that that comes in and through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Put weight, gravity on my words tonight. And I ask that not for my sake, but for our sake. I pray that it would land heavy and they would accomplish everything that you design for them. And I pray this in your name. Amen. My relationship with the Holy Spirit began when I was quite young. My, my father was a vicar in the Church of England. He's now retired, uh, although he still moonlights in Wilford doing various things for George, uh, an increasing number of things for George, as I found out, <laughs> found out earlier. And I remember as a, a young child going to a, a festival called Spring Harvest and having an encounter with Jesus. And I remember that because I forced my parents to take me to the shop Afterward, and I marked it by buying, um, forcing them to buy me a T-shirt with a duck on it, just emerging from an egg, and it said, "I've quacked it. Now I'm a Christian." <laughs> and if I still had that T-shirt, I would be wearing it now. <laughs> a, a short while after that, I remember being at a, a very Anglican service. I know that because I was cold. And we were in a church building somewhere, and it was more formal than usual. My, my dad's church wasn't particularly formal. It was Anglican, but it wasn't very formal. And this, uh, it was an evening, and it was some other place. So we traveled there. It was probably in West Yorkshire where I, I lived. I grew up in West Yorkshire. And it was probably some kind of ordination or somebody being installed as a vicar. And I remember, vividly remember... I remember in the worship just experiencing this. I couldn't even describe it as an emotion. It wasn't emotional. Uh, It was, I felt in my body warmth. It was, uh, it started here in my stern. I still feel it sometimes when I'm praying. And it it like, uh, um, what would be the word? Like, it was like throbbing from here, from my sternum and emanating out. It was what I think John Wesley referred to when he said that he was strangely warmed. It was strange. It was strange for a six, seven-year-old. I don't know how old I was, but I was fairly young. After that, I began to attend festivals, church festivals or Christian festivals. And, and my or our festival of choice as a family was New Wine. And at that point, there was a youth element of New Wine called Soul Survivor. Soul Survivor wasn't a festival in and of itself back then. It was just the youth gig. Now, I was about nine or ten, and I didn't want to go to the kids thing. So I got my cousin, who had some kind of political power in the thing, to sneak me in to Soul Survivor. And I started uh, going to that. And I remember vividly uh, what was going on around that time. It was the 
1990s. Uh, it was probably the early 90s, and it was around the time of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that began in a place in Canada called Toronto, a particular vineyard church called the Airport Vineyard or Toronto Vineyard. It was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that began there but went global. And I remember walking into the tent for the first time and honestly seeing things that if I explain them to you now, you'd either probably not believe me or you'd walk out. Really weird things, but very, very powerful things. Uh, the saner end of the spectrum were people being knocked over on the floor, just completely taken leave of their uh, power over their own bodies. Um, and we saw many other things alongside that. Now, he's got to understand, I didn't know much different, and I trusted my parents. I also trusted the people who uh, were leading this, and I still do. <laughs> and so I just assumed this was what happened when you went to church in a field. <laughs> and I also saw the fruit. I saw the fruit in my own life, and I was a pretty anxious young boy, really, and I remember leaving those events feeling like I was walking out of the place on a cloud. I was filled with peace and joy. And I have to say this, a tremendous hunger for Jesus. Uh, and that time marked me. I remember going back every year and basically just moaning at my dad. Dad, why can't church be more like that? <laughs> And I'm sure there were lots of good reasons. Um, that time saw the, the preparation, the raising up of a whole generation of young leaders. And also ministries were, were released nationally. I mean, you know, things like Soul Survivor, things like uh, Alpha. And if I was to ask you to raise your hands, if you've been impacted by New Wine, Soul Survivor, or Alpha, just those three, I guarantee most hands in this room would go up. And there are many, many others, more, more than I have time to speak of now. I mean, if you've listened to the music of Matt Redman, Tim Hughes, and you know, there's so much delirious. All of that just came out of that time and God was moving in such powerful ways. But it marked me. I remember being uh, 15 years of age, probably a little younger, but it was definitely 15. And I, I was confirmed in the Church of England. I was given a Bible and I took it home and I just began reading it every day on my own, in my room, reading it. Just reading it and devouring it. Loving it. <laughs> that time ruined me for anything less than a church filled with and on fire with the power of the Holy Spirit. I assumed, wrongly I now realize, but I assumed everybody felt like that. I assumed that was entirely normal. A number of years later, I went to the United States, and Amy and I, uh, we've mentioned this before, we spent three and a half years in ministry there, and I actually began to encounter some radically different beliefs toward the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I could describe those in various ways, but one would be to say there was ignorance. Now, I don't use that word critically. I use it in the, in the technical sense. There was a lack of knowledge. People didn't know. People did not have the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. They'd somehow managed to go through <laughs> reading their Bible and, and going to church and just never been taught about who the Holy Spirit was and what he did and how they already actually knew him if they knew Jesus. 
we also saw that many people were apathetic. They didn't care. They were fine without. They got their Christian life, or so they thought, and they were just willing to go on as if there really wasn't the Holy Spirit. There was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. Maybe no need for the Holy Spirit. Uh, other people, in other people, we encountered fear. They were afraid. Now, in the American context, I could understand this. There's a lot of abuse in that time, particularly where we were historically. And I have to say the Holy Spirit hasn't done his best PR work, has he? I mean, you know, being known as the Holy Ghost in many places is perhaps not the way to give people a sense that you're good. Uh, But there we go. But many were open. And we began to minister, Amy and I, uh, really... I don't know how we ended up in this position. The way I've always described it is that in the blind kingdom, the one-eyed man is king. And we knew one thing or two things about who the Holy Spirit was. And they really didn't even know as much as us. So as 20-something-year-olds, there we were leading a 5,000-person church in discovering the person and work of the Holy Spirit. It was mad. But there it was. And people who were open began to experience and encounter him. And I got a taste for what ministry would be like if it could be about encounter, helping people encounter who the Holy Spirit is. And I have to say, it was really good. When Jesus prepares to leave his disciples, Mark has just read it to us in Acts 1.8. His promise is that they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Many of you know this is a fulfillment of the uh, promise and the prophecy that John the Baptist has over Jesus at the beginning of Luke's gospel. This one is coming after me who's going to baptize you not with water, but with fire and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promises the disciples this is going to be their reality, that they're going to experience this, that there is no need to be ignorant of these things. There is no need to be apathetic and there is no need to be afraid. But the posture of a disciple is to be ready, to wait, actively wait, and to be open and hungry. And just this evening, I want to explain briefly who the Holy Spirit is and why we should be actively waiting and even seeking his presence. So if you've got your Bible with you, would you open with me to John's Gospel? We're going to be spending most of our time in this particular text in John 14. Those of you who had done Alpha you may realize that I've lifted some of the teaching from tonight from some of the Alpha messages, but you're going to love it. Jesus here is, in a, in a similar way, I guess, to, to Acts 1, he's, he's in the midst of a farewell discourse. He's saying goodbye. He's giving instructions to his disciples about how they're going to go on without him. This is what good leaders do. They prepare for their exit in advance of their leaving. And, and really, the, the immediate, that's the general context, but the immediate context, I think, comes in verse 8 of chapter 14. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. So the context here is a, 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 a departing Jesus and a hunger to know more of God as Father. And it's in the context of that that Jesus begins to speak into what they can expect after he's no longer physically present with them. And he doesn't, I, you know, Jesus is not the kind of rabbi, he's not the kind of teacher to lower the bar. Hey, he's not like, he's like, hey guys, when I'm gone, you've seen these great things and just, I just want you to, I just want to lower your expectations for what life's going to be like when I'm gone. You've seen me do some wonderful things and let's be honest, 
you haven't really caught on so far, so I just need to say, just what you've seen, just half it, and just set your, set your bar there, and you won't be disappointed. Have, you, have your parents done this? Oh, uh, you're going into your exam, but well, just lower your expectations, then you won't be disappointed. Maybe you've seen that sort of approach. That is not the approach of Jesus. Here's what he says. If I can find it. Very truly I tell you, this is verse 12. Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these. Jesus raises the bar. And the reason he's able to do that is because he is confident in in the one who is coming. The Holy Spirit. Here he says, I will give you. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Jesus is confident in the disciples' ability to follow him and to live the Christian life and even to do greater things. And he's confident of that because the one who is coming is able. Who is the one who is coming? Well, here he's described as another advocate. Let's just take those words one by one. Another Another, now there's two words, two ways you can say at least two. I have the Greek scholars in the room, I'm not one of them. But there's two ways you can say another in Greek. One is heteros, it means another of a different kind. Two Greek scholars in the room looking at each other here. And the other one is alos. It means another of the same kind. And Jesus uses the word here for alos, he uses the word for another of the same kind. That's the kind of counsellor, that's the kind of advocate who is coming. Elsewhere in the New Testament, Jesus refers to the Spirit, or the Spirit of God, the, Spirit of, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Christ, or the Spirit of Jesus. We see that in Romans 8, we see that in 1 Peter, we see that in Acts 16. The earliest Christian experience was that when the Holy Spirit was in the room, It was like when Jesus was there. That the confidence that they had from being proximate, being close to Jesus, they had that when the Holy Spirit was there. That was their experience. This was another of the same kind, another like Jesus, put really plainly. Not less than Jesus. Not less than Jesus in any way. The Holy Spirit isn't junior Jesus. Jesus light, semi-skimmed Jesus. That's not who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is God with us as Jesus was. Available to us. Available, able to help us do the greater things, to step into the life of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one, the Holy Spirit is... The one who is right now, trying to use a non-technical term, dancing around with the Father and the Son. He is the part of the Trinity. He's God. And he's in you. And so he's able. And you're able in him. So it's another of the same kind. The second thing the Holy Spirit, Jesus says of the Spirit, he's going to be an advocate. Another what? Another advocate. Other translations use the word counselor. It comes from a Greek word, parakletos. Paraclete, we actually have that word in our language. We don't use it very much. It could be a legal counsel. Literally, it means one who comes alongside. The Holy Spirit is alongside you in the way that Jesus was alongside those disciples as he walked around Galilee with them. 
He's our counselor. Not, not, not only in the sense that he does what we now call counseling, therapy. He heals us. He does do that. We're going to be speaking about that in weeks to come. But in a broader sense that he is the one who gives us counsel. He's the one who leads us, who guides us, who, uh, who does also heal us, who gives us wisdom and knowledge and all of that stuff. He is Jesus with us. And so what is he with us for? What does the advocate, what is he leading us in? How is he helping us? Well, at least in three ways. Firstly, he's leading us and he's helping us to become like Jesus. I love this particular line. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. Now try not to read that passive aggressively. If you loved me, you would keep my commands. That's not what's going on here. He's just saying, look, if you love me, keep, you know if you love me, if you're walking in my ways, if you're walking in my path. And what follows is, is clearly, what's, what's being implied clearly is that the Holy Spirit's the one who's going to enable you to do that. I don't know if you've tried to follow the commands of Jesus. Presumably you have at least tried because you're here. You've tried to love your neighbor. You tried to pray for those who persecute you. Tried to love your enemy. Tried to go the extra mile. Tried to lay down your life for others. Tried to empty yourself. You've done it. You've tried it, right? It's difficult, isn't it? Did you know that the Christian life is impossible apart from the Holy Spirit? Impossible. Absolutely impossible. It's never, it wasn't actually meant to be possible apart from the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. I sure as goodness can't do it. The Holy Spirit living in you got a fighting chance. The Holy Spirit in you is the hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You in you, not much hope. Christ in you, through the Holy Spirit, glory. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, you know, we who contemplate the glory of God are being transformed into his image. As we look upon Jesus, gaze upon Jesus in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as we do that, is transforming us into the image of Jesus. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And he does it for free. Well, not exactly for free. We'll get to that. But it's a work of transformation. This is one of the things the Holy Spirit is desi- has designs on your life. And his designs are to make you like Jesus. To make you more like Jesus every day. He is intent, he is irrepressibly, consistently devoted to making you more like Jesus. And he has infinite power at his disposal to do so. Ultimately, it is his will is irresistible. And that's how you're going to look when all is said and done. The Spirit brings transformation, helps us to become like Jesus. Secondly, the Spirit enables us to do the greater things. Now, scholars debate, uh, speak to scholars after, I don't care. Scholars debate whether greater is greater in quantity or greater in quality. My feeling has always been that raising the dead would be hard to top. 
However, I leave it with you. Certainly what Jesus is not doing is lowering the bar. What he's saying is that what happened in the book is available through the Holy Spirit, through surrounded disciples. It's not about cake stalls at the local fair. You don't need the power of God for that. It is about loving your enemies. It is about forgiving those who persecute you. It is about healing the sick. It is about casting out demons. It is about offering salvation and seeing folks saved. It is about loving the poor and the marginalized and the hurting. It is about going where you would rather not go. In fact, where you would never go unless God had called you. It is about laying down your life. And yeah, there's a great list in Acts 2 as well. But it's not exhaustive. There are so many things. What does it look like in your life? Whatever the greater things are, the Holy Spirit's here to help you, to empower you, to enable you to do the greater things. You know, just this last, in fact, just this morning, I heard a story from this community. And I think if I'd not been in Wilford, I wouldn't have heard it. Apparently, you could be in the room. This, this story might be about you in the room. I have no idea who it's about. I don't know if the person is male or female. So I don't know what I'm going to assume. It's a, I don't know. We'll see where I go. Somebody in this community went to the half night of prayer that our student team hosted just last week. Or the week before, last week. Yeah, whatever. It was a couple of weeks ago. Thy kingdom come that evening. And in that, I think, and if you're in the room and I'm ruining the details, please just forgive me. I've only heard the story once and you could be telling the story, but it's me. So uh, they felt God say, go and pray at Wilford. So they did the next day, the next week, whatever. They went to pray in Wilford and they sensed that the spirit of God was saying to them, look, there's somebody to pray for here for healing. And they felt led to walk down a particular street. I don't know if you have a frame of reference for this, but God does this stuff more than you realize. And this is what God did. So this person responded and did it. Blessed are the words, Jesus said, who hears the wo- blessed are those who hear the word of the God and obey it. So this person did that. They heard it and they obeyed it. And somebody walked around the corner and this person was wearing crutches. And I don't know what our friend did, male or female, I know not. I don't know what they did in that moment. What I would like to think I would do would walk forward. What I think I would do is walk around in the opposite direction. Anyway, our friend approached this person on crutches and said, look, can I pray for you? This person said, yeah. I've actually been told that I'll be wearing these crutches the rest of my life. I don't know how the conversation went, but the person who was being prayed for said that their pain in that moment completely disappeared. Okay, completely disappeared. Let's just chalk that down to greater things, right? Our friend walked away and heard a whooping and a hollering behind them, at which point our friend turned round, male or female, I do not know, and saw the lady that they prayed for with her crutches in the air, praising God. Come on. It's good. It's good. To become like Jesus, to do the greater things. Thirdly, to experience the love of the Father. Back to Philip. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That would be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, Jesus is saying to Philip, you've seen me, he says this literally, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
bully for you, Philip. I haven't seen Jesus. I don't need to have the Holy Spirit who shows me the Father's love. The, the love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit who's been given to me. It is the Spirit himself testifying, Romans 8, with my spirit that I'm a child of God and a co-heir with Christ. The Spirit's the one who leads us into the Father's heart. That was what I experienced when I walked out that tent as a 10-year-old. That's what I experienced as a seven-year-old in that ordination service in that dusty church building. Jesus says, I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. How's he going to do that? He comes at Pentecost. He comes in the power of the Spirit. That's how he's available today. I heard another story this morning. I've been busy hearing stories this morning in Wilford. Just this Wednesday, George and the team in Wilford are running a half night of prayer, and a man came. And this man had been in their church for between two and six weeks. I had reports saying two. I had reports saying six. Let's just say it's between two and six. And I heard him say this with his own mouth. He said, I came on Wednesday night to this prayer meeting. And as I was caught in this prayer meeting, I, I felt led to share my story. He began to share his story. In brief, his story was that a number of years ago, he had a, a bad head injury. I think he fell off a bike or something similar. He cracked his skull. He had a major bleed on his brain. And he said he was 12 minutes from death. And he said he was, he was saved from death and he knew at that moment that a higher power had saved him. That was the language he used. Been saved by a higher power. No connection to the church, no relationship with God. After that event, uh, his marriage broke apart, he was divorced and his life hit, his words, rock bottom. Somebody more recently brought him to church between two and six weeks ago. He began to attend, and he came to this event on Wednesday night, and he felt led to share his story. And he said, as I began to feel to share my story, my whole body began to shake. And I, well, hit my words now. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, they asked him, would you like to begin a relationship with Jesus? And he came to Christ. Extraordinary. <laughs> Extraordinary. He experienced the Father's love, and he came home. Let me tell you another story. This one's a little older of a man called Charles Finney. Charles Finney was described by Billy Graham. Of, uh, Billy Graham said of Charles Finney that a few men have had such a profound impact on their generation as Finney. Through his spirit-filled evangelistic ministry, uncounted thousands came to know Christ, resulting in one of the greatest periods of revival in the history of America. So this person, Charles Finney, was used mightily by God in it to awaken a whole generation Greater things. Fill with the Father's up. How did it happen? Here's how it happened. I quote, But as I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire, I received the mighty baptism of the Holy Ghost. This is my favorite bit. Without any expectation of it, without ever having the thought in my mind that there was such a thing for me, without my recollection that I'd ever heard the thing mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Ghost descended on me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression, like a wave of electricity going through and through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love. For I could not express it in any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. I can recollect distinctly that it seemed to fan me like immense wings. No words can express 
the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. And I do not know, but I should say, I literally bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. The waves came over me and over me, one after the other, until I recollect I cried out, I shall die if these waves continue to pass over me. I said, Lord, I cannot bear any more. Yet I had no fear of death. How long I continued in this state, with the baptism continuing to roll over me and go through me, I do not know. Just let me pause here. That is consistent, consistent testimony for people who experience the Holy Spirit in this way, that just time just goes like that. But I know it was late in the evening when a member of my choir, for I was a leader of the choir, (laughs) came into the office to see me in the state of loud weeping and said to me, Mr. Finney, what ails you? I could make him no answer. For some time, he then said, are you in pain? I gathered myself up as best I could and replied, no, but so happy that I cannot live. He turned and left the office, (laughs) and in a few minutes returned with one of the elders of the church whose shop was nearly across the way from our office. The elder was a very serious man and in my presence had been very watchful. And I'd scarcely ever seen him laugh. Know any elders like that? When he came in, I was very much in the state in which I was when the young man went out to call him. In other words, no change. He asked me how I felt and I began to tell him. He asked me, instead of saying anything, he fell into the most spasmodic laughter. It seemed as if it was impossible for him to keep from laughing from the very bottom of his heart. Filled with the Father's love, waves and waves of liquid love, like electricity, so strong. Dwight Moody says it this way, I had to ask God to stay his hand. That's why Jesus says to the disciples in John 16, 7, it is to your advantage that I go. There's so many people... So many people who don't know the Holy Spirit, they're perplexed by that verse. To our advantage? We could get Jesus on YouTube. We wouldn't have to put this guy on YouTube. We could have him. Don't laugh. The Holy Spirit is more effective. Jesus could, okay, post-resurrection, go through wars, but he could only be in one place at one time. The Holy Spirit is accessible and available to every Christian disciple. The Holy Spirit is your inheritance and my inheritance. As a young boy, I was ruined for anything less. I still pray almost daily for that kind of experience that Finney had, that Moody had, that Wesley had. And every day, it's possible this will be the day. I've never had an experience like that. You may go through your whole life without having that exact kind of experience. There are no replicas. The Holy Spirit doesn't do replicas. But he knows what every person needs. And I believe that the church on fire, the church that God has called Amy and I to lead, the church that God is, the church that God wants to have in the world is a church that's full of the power of the Holy Spirit. Christian life's 
only, it's, it's only possible, it's only any fun if the Holy Spirit has free reign. And the church is only effective when the Holy Spirit has free reign. It is not special churches that get this. Most of the special churches program out the Holy Spirit. They don't have space or time. He's seeking a surrendered church. How can we have more of the Holy Spirit? Well, first of all, we acknowledge that there is no time for ignorance. There's no space for apathy. And there's no need for fear. There is only a need for a heartfelt seeking. Jesus tells his disciples to ask to seek to knock and that those that do will receive the Holy Spirit. We seek. What does it mean for you to seek the Holy Spirit? To seek him like never before. Never before. To, to remove any obstacle that you knowingly have in his way. Any, any obstacle that you knowingly have in his way and to pray, God, if there be any obstacle in your way that I unknowingly have before you, remove it from me. Even if it means rearranging the entire furniture of my life. That's a bold prayer. It is an earnest seeking after him that is required and also it is a total surrender. Only one will can exist in your life at one time. Whose will it be? Yours or his? Let's pray.